Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. 93 WIBC. I'm not Tony Katz, clearly. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Tony and Kennett also yes, filling in. I'm not Tony Katz either. I am Tony Kennett, though. You, you know, are a TK, but yet a different individual. Different TK Tony, same great taste. Indeed. <laughs> and you like cigars, too. Absolutely. You're listening to 93 WIBC producer Ryan. Beep, 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 pushing those buttons, doing the things to make the show function. Thanks for your hard work. We begin this hour with a spurious report from WRTV released on Wednesday in which they claim that openings across schools plaguing central Indiana are the result of increased scrutiny from community parents and politicians, citing a few uh, teachers, Lindsay and Pat Bradshaw complaining about the uh, matter. What say you, Tony? Because this is your area of expertise. Well, I think it's really interesting that, you know, WRTV6 uh, simply went to just two teachers and they, they they started off by saying, well, we talked to a, you know, we talked to a couple of teachers and then it was legitimately a teacher who are a couple, you know, two teachers who are a couple who have the same political <laughs> views and say, well, you know, we're not resigning. Uh, so I don't know really why you're asking us, <laughs> but like we think it's because all of these mean old conservative parents getting engaged. Unfortunately, the data does not show that. We did a study at the Chalkboard Review in which we contacted, contacted over 750 across the Midwest teachers who were resigning. It's very difficult to contact just the resigning teachers. It was a very difficult process. Of the 750-ish that we contacted, we were able to get 615 to correctly fill out the survey and put in a verifiable email address. And overwhelmingly, when pay is listed as an ancillary issue, aka I'm not being paid enough to do this, it was discovered that it was student behavior, that it was left unchecked by administrations and woke administration politics that were responsible for over 93% of teachers resigning. I know this is a serious issue because my sister-in-law over in Ohio is actually a teacher, and she uh, has dealt with uh, teaching kids in the urban environment, the inner city, and it is a challenging Portion oh, you're of, being very kind. Challenging. <laughs> I mean, there are kids literally doing all kinds of nonsense in the classrooms in, from violent acts to yes, all in, other kind of stuff. In middle school, Tony, and I'm sure. Again, oh, elementary out, schools. In, you know, elementary schools in Warren have kids who are violent that are sent to the out, office and sent right back. Bring out coming in with uh, drugs. They uh, in, engage in violent activity, vandalism. They come with weapons, including firearms. So, yeah, that's a scary environment for teachers to be in. And it's funny how the WRTV uh, report completely overlooks that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a reason because there's a narrative that needs to suggest that it's actually Republican policy and these conservative parents in Indiana that are cracking down on the classroom and don't make it fun to teach anymore. Now, that doesn't fit the very basic data to observe either, in which if it's true that it's conservative parents that are the problem, then why is it that by percentage the rural area schools in Indiana have fewer spots percentage-wise of the total staff open, and it's your inner-city, more Democrat-controlled areas, very liberal schools, that have teachers fleeing in droves. IPS just started back today, and they are out hundreds, if not thousands, of positions. And that's not something to 
to gloat over that there are students that aren't able to find teachers, but it is a judgment on the terrible administrative practices Mm -hmm. of schools across the state who have chosen rather than to support and respect their teachers by holding classrooms and students accountable, they've chosen woke politics instead. They're seeking to avoid the answers to those uncomfortable questions. Uh, Keith Gamble, Indiana State Teachers Association president, says that state leaders need to support their school employees. Quote, they're going to have to uplift the great work that our educators are doing. Our teachers, bus drivers, cafeteria workers, all the great work they're doing instead of uh, of us having the constant drumbeat of everything that's going wrong in our schools. Now, on the one hand, okay, I agree with the sentiment that we need to support the people who are working hard to but make that's our also schools not, work. That's not an the uncommon teachers, sentiment, though. Sure, that's not an uncommon uh, sentiment. But the little dirt, the dirty part of that is, why do so many teachers seem to feel that they, uh, unlike other professions, are above the scrutiny and uh, uh, reflection of community leaders and politicians? Well, there is a teacher martyrdom fetish, and the ISTA really embodies this, this idea that teachers are this totally horribly oppressed class and that, therefore, all teachers are heroes. And it's ridiculous because teachers don't see themselves by and large as heroes. We're just people doing our job day after day. We like teaching. We enjoy the impact that we get to have. Uh, There isn't a situation I see too often in which the average teacher who just wants to go to work, they want to teach, and they just want to go home and be with their family is impressed by all of this nonsense. And with the ISTA, as well as uh, several other individuals in the state, like former state superintendent Jennifer McCormick, saying that it's the Republican policies in things like salary driving teachers away, The Indiana General Assembly just gave a huge portion of our state's surplus budget to schools. That's why Muncie schools gave a huge cut of that to their staff. Apparently, though, not all schools did that. And uh, I guess although the General Assembly did the right thing in this case, teachers are still leaving. It just doesn't fit what's actually going on factually. Well, also supporting schools and supporting workers does not preclude parents from having involvement and evaluative scrutiny over the curriculum in their community schools. Sorry, it, it just doesn't. You can still support your teachers and your local schools while also being involved in the curriculum. In fact, I would go so far to say as people who do support their schools and community are the ones who are involved in scrutinizing the curriculum and being involved How with How interesting that you bring that up because when I was in the classroom at Knightstown, excuse me, when I was in the classroom at Knightstown, my parents took incredibly great care of me. They did. Constantly. They were always making sure that I had everything that I needed. They asked questions. I gave them answers. Uh, and a lot of some, by the way, some of the questions were indeed political. And I sat down with them when I had an opportunity to, and I talked to them about those various topics. They treated me wonderfully. The Indiana State Teachers Association didn't care at all about me. They, you know, that they at one point of the year would send the teachers in our district a small little cellophane wrapped thing of fudge, and that's all they did. <laughs> it was the parents that took great care of teachers in the classroom because that parent teacher relationship should be worth its weight in gold. I mean, they might as well just give you a pandering pizza party at the end of the year, like, ah, you little scamps, have some oh, pizza. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know you guys are all depressed over the students that can't learn in your class because of the incredible violence, but here's a pizza party. There you go. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Ethan Hatcher and Tony Kinnett filling in on Tony Katz today. I also wanted to cover some serious Sunshine State envy I've got because our neighbors to the south in Florida are receiving the benefits of a tax holiday passed in May. Why can the Flo- why can Floridians get their Republican Party into gear, but the Indiana Republicans cannot? It's ridiculous. 
Governor DeSantis signed this bill back into May. It gives a $1.2 billion tax relief to the state, including discounts right now, a tax holiday on a lot of school supplies, kids going back to school. That stuff is expensive. Yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is. And uh, not having to pay the taxes on that is a huge ha- help to uh, parents. And also, wanted to point this out, gas tax hike or holiday in October the Indiana Republican Party can't find it within their heart to discount the more than 50 cents that Hoosiers are being taxed at the pump right now because of their deleterious taxation I policy. I was told but- why by individuals at the Indiana GOP. Ooh, tell me. I, I asked the question specifically to a certain member who I will allow to remain anonymous because I was asking the question, but this is the inside reason that the Indiana GOP is not going with a gas tax cut as opposed to this is cool. what they're they're putting forward. The reason they suggest that they are not putting a gas tax cut in Indiana is because it will benefit people outside of the Hoosier state. So there's some trucker, I guess, he's driving from Kansas to New York, and he's going to come through Indiana, and we don't want him to get any gas tax savings in the Hoosier state because he's not a citizen of Indiana. Oh, yeah, no, That's they're not the gonna... reason that they have suggested openly to me. That is the reason. They suggest it's better, actually, if we send some kind of like rebate gas uh, tax flavored kind of check to people. Oh, that's maybe. all bull crap. You know they just don't want to give you your money back. That's I mean, exactly. the plain and the simple gas truth tax of it. In the Indiana Republican- is held up in this glorious light as being able to provide for infrastructure and education, all these things, and it doesn't do any of that. The Republican Party of Indiana lusts for your tax dollar. That's the flat. When you're run by situation. the Chamber of Commerce instead of your constituents, that stuff tends to happen. You're listening to 93 WIBC. What else are we covering in this segment? Of course, we've got uh, the gas tax holiday in October coming up for our neighbors in the South in Florida. But also, yes, I wanted to hit on this, uh, inflation prices taking a toll on Americans across the nation as more than half of consumers have uh, shrunk their savings. 40% of consumers can't put money into savings at all. 48% said the rising cost of basic necessities impacted their family's lifestyle. That's but been the case for me. The report found something that chilled me to the bone. And I don't say that dramatically. I mean, this actually took me a moment. I had to oh, read this line a couple of times. It said that most will rely on credit card debt to bridge the gap between what they need and what they can afford. Yeah. You have the average American now that is relying on credit card debt to just fill in the gaps to obtain the necessities. This should be, both parties should be trying to solve this, even with different solutions. This should be the front-talking issue in every major paper, on every major station, in every part of social media, every TV station, and it's not. The cost of inflation has propelled American household debt to new heights of 15 Point eight trillion with a T, folks, dollars. That is a hefty chunk of the American economy that is shouldered on debt. It's despicable. And that combined with rising inflation speaks incredible doom for the American economy. And not just because saying incredible doom gets you a lot of clicks on social media. The chickens are going to come home to roost. You are, if you sow in the wind, you will reap the, you'll reap the whirlwind. Yeah, we're, we're already seeing the cost of hyperinflation and the Biden administration seemingly unwilling to even recognize the situation for as dire as it is. In fact, he says it doesn't feel like a recession to him at all. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Isn't that disgusting, man? Just waddling off the stage. It is beyond embarrassing for the leader of the free world to look at 
poor Americans in the middle class. Remember, the Democrats are supposed to be out there saying they stand for the working class. The Indiana Democrats say, oh, we stand for the working class. Yet their leader trots up, or excuse me, waddles up on stage in front of the press and says, it doesn't sound like a recession to me. The economy is in free fall, President Joe. Inflation is at record numbers since the 70s. And yet it doesn't sound like a recession to you. (laughs) Every one of your needs is taken care of. You're not suffering from this. It's the average American family that is sinking into the mires of credit card debt. Creditors are the worst. $16 trillion nearly of debt shared across American households due to the faltering Biden economy and the ravages of inflation. The, The economy is an abattoir of inflation. And Joe Biden is the butcher, the American consumer is on the chopping block. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Stay tuned for more on Tony Katz today. To the town of our free road, a stranger. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Ethan Hatcher, that's Tony Kinnett. Together we're filling in for Tony Katz today. Producer Ryan on the board. And Democrats have made another stab at an assault weapons ban after more than two decades, uh, after the last assault weapons ban elapsed. Taking another stab at it, of course. It is uh, poorly written and not thought out entirely well, but that's to be expected from those on the left. Of course. And and this kind of assault weapons ban is being heralded as this great, new, wonderful approach to gun safety that we all need to get behind, despite the fact that it steps on the rights of individual Americans, who, many of whom I would say uh, would need that to protect them from the systemic oppression that is paraded around so often by the left. As my favorite phrase goes... Armed minorities are harder to oppress. It's a ban on assault sti- assault style question mark weapons. I mean, I don't is it know like what, Western style or if like, it looks scary? You know, if it's spray painted the matte black. You oh know, yeah, it's yeah. Got it has the, like the tactical the, rail on it. Yeah, for the, the textured like stock and stuff for easier grip stuff like. That. Anyway, um, it, it's weird. It passed very narrowly, two seventeen to two thirteen. Two Republican turncoats representatives, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Chris Jacobs of New York voting in support of the bill. It seems unlikely to advance in the, uh, advance in the Senate. But here, I feel, is another area that we can have some conversation, uh, Tony. I do not support a gun control or a, a gun ban. I, I feel like that's totally, it, it just wouldn't work. Um, I, I don't support many of the gun control efforts that are proposed uh, by, especially by the left. But I feel like it would behoove Second Amendment advocates to kind of get on the front end of this discussion lest we get the uh, Obama Obamacare of gun control bills. I feel like it's coming down the pike at some point because the issue of especially school shootings cannot go unanswered. I mean, these days, whenever we see like at at the mall, my first response was like, oh, well, at least it's not school this time. And of school shootings, I went uh, categorized on my show only serious quote-unquote mass school shootings because if it's less than 10 fatalities, well, that's not a serious school shooting here in America. And even with that arbitrary demarcation of a serious mass shooting of 10 fatalities or more in a school it's happening once every about two years for the last two decades and this isn't something that i remember from my childhood it certainly wasn't a daily factor of life in you know for many baby boomers or the 20th century americans so we need to figure out what's going on here and get on top of that. And conservatives need to be a part of the conversation instead of just, you know, staking. Oh, well, shall not be infringed and cutting off the conversation there. 
So I would, I would need a little bit more clarity from you on what you expect the front end to be, but I will mention at least on one, you said that this wasn't a thing that you remembered from your childhood and not through American history. There have been mass shooting events quite a bit in America's history. Sure, just um, not frequently. Well, uh, depends on what you mean by frequently. There wasn't nationally reported news for a good portion of the late 18 and the early 1900s. And so certain things were not mass reported. Now, those things said, obviously, I'm not saying it's not a huge problem. It is a huge problem. I want to know what it is that you think should be discussed on the front end as far as uh, firearm legislation. Well, yeah, see, I don't have a good answer to that question, and I'm not a firearms expert. I am a firearms owner. I believe in the right to self-defense, and I protect myself at my house. I, I believe in exercising that right. That said, maybe people who are more educated with, than me about firearms, I've tried to I've tried to engage Guy Relford of the Gun Guy Show on mm -hmm. this conversation before, but there is just this uh, reflexive reliance, and justifiably so, on the wording of the Second Amendment and the interpretation of the Heller decision that I feel it leaves very little wiggle room for conversation in dealing with these shooting events. And instead, we're like cutting down uh, schools to uh, single entrance only, which is a terrible idea for safety reasons, like to evacuate the kids. I I don't know. I just I want to engage the conversation and just shrugging our shoulders and saying, oh, well, there's nothing that can be done. School shootings are just a fact of facet of life. I don't think I feel like well, that's no, and not, I don't not think, the way the conversation so needs to end. There's a there's a very significant difference between uh, recommending that there needs to be a conversation on an answer to the problem of school shootings and suggesting that the only thing that, well, not that you're saying the only thing, but that the core or the central thing that needs to be discussed is gun regulation. I would suggest that there are far more cultural factors and that there are also school safety factors as in how the school is set up. Schools are soft targets. They will always be soft targets. So we need to do everything that we can to make schools harder targets for those who want to do those kinds of horrible, awful crimes to commit. And that does mean single point entry, regardless of how large and and spread out certain campuses are that means what armed security officers you single point entry doesn't mean you can't leave exit doors still open that just means that you can't pull on the exit door and gain entrance okay. i mean i guess the the better question would be what would happen in like the term of a tornado i mean that that would be kind of a because then you have to get into the building uh, but like a fire no you just run out the exit door single point entry means there's only one way to get onto the campus of the school itself that said i also think that more so than than just regulation and self-defense, that's not what the Second Amendment was intended for, just so that you could defend yourself. The Second Amendment was to give the citizens of the United States an insurance policy to handle against uh, any kind of federal tyranny. This is WIBC 93.1, Tony Katz today, Tony Kinnett, and Ethan Hatcher. We'll come back to you here in a minute. Listening to Tony Katz today, 93 WIBC. I'm Ethan Hatcher. That's Tony Kinnett. Together, we're filling in. We're continuing our very spirited discussion about uh, the issue of gun legislation here in America. And and I, I think it's. 
I think it's an important conversation to have. Absolutely. Uh, Every person should know where they stand on the most important fundamental issues of the country. It doesn't mean you're being overly political. It just means that you know what is going on around you. And, and confiscation is obviously a non-starter. That's not going to happen in the land of the free for a variety of reasons. It is a constitutionally protected right for a good reason. And also logistically, it would just be unfathomable to even attempt. But that said, it again... I especially think it behooves Second Amendment advocates to be front and center on the conversation of how to protect especially the most vulnerable, which is schools. And one of the things I was going to suggest, of course, is I, I'm not sure why it's uh, I'm not just a given that schools aren't provided with an armed resource oh. officer. But that said, I can tell we you had the 300 reason officers not, at Yuval dithering around for more than an hour with a clear shot on the assailant. So, so law enforcement isn't the solution either. And also in and of itself, a great articulation of why you should have the right to self-defense if law enforcement isn't going to be around to protect you or your children. Well, yeah, that's the classic libertarian argument there, and I, I don't disagree with it in and of the slightest. Uh, I do think, at least to get this one out of the way, that the officers at Uvalde, especially after the situation that unfolded, should be fully investigated. Look, if you sign up to be a cop, no one forced you, no one conscripted you into the police. You have a responsibility to defend the citizens in your community against all kinds of violence and violations of their rights. And that the officers didn't do that, whether they were ordered not to, whether they chose not to, whatever the situation was, and I need to see who the bad actor is, needs to be cashiered at the very least, prosecuted at the worst. And I do think that officers should indeed be legally responsible for those things. Now, So we're going to have to do two things. We're going to have to re uh, reevaluate the limitations of qualified immunity. Absolutely. And we're also going to have to revisit the Castle Rock decision in the Supreme Court, which held that police officers are not liable for your protection. Absolutely. Both of those things need to be revisited because, A, they're incredibly antiquated decisions, and, B, they harm average everyday Americans. To your conversation, which we can definitely agree on, yes, there does need to be armed security at schools. You do not see a lot of shootings at private Jewish schools because they are all fenced in and they have armed security at the front and in the office. Now, the reason you don't see this in the American public education system is because of the, oh, the horrors of this is the prison complex and kids don't want to go to school and feel like they're in a prison. That is the most silly and ridiculous argument I have ever heard. Do you want your child to be safe? Or do you want your child, oh, well, they, there's no way a child could discern the difference between a prison and a school. I... You know what other things are protected? Big banks. Banks have armed security officers. They have, some of them have gates. Some of them have big, huge, massive doors that will slide down in the event of an emergency. I don't know about you, Ethan. I don't feel like I'm walking into a prison when I walk into a large bank. Yeah, every Brinks uh, security uh, delivery truck accompanied with an armed guard. You mean it when you're standing there at Speedway in the morning and the Brinks officer walks in to get, you know, open the time safe, you don't feel like you're immediately in a prison? <laughs> Do you hear how stupid this argument sounds? And, you know, and uh, this is kind of an ancillary discussion unto itself, but armed resource officers can protect your school children from other threats within the school. This was uh, something that was reported by the Associated Press. Somewhere out of the Midwest, I'm struggling to remember the state off the top of my head, but they reported it as this big, bad police officer that shot at an innocent school child who turned out, they buried in the reporting, was firing at the, at the school resource officer and he had to return fire at that point so that's somebody who's posing threat on the immediate campus 
And it's important to be able to intervene in that situation. Also brushes up a conversation that we were dealing with earlier, the incredible weird violence that teachers are forced to deal with in the inner school city environment. And this is why I believe personally that the best answer to most education issues is to toss it to the local school boards in more than one way. And by the way, this isn't just my opinion on school safety. This is my opinion on things like uh, the discussion on critical race theory, the discussion on social emotional learning, and that local school boards should be accountable to parents parents in order to carry out not just some decisions curricularly, but also decisions regarding the safety and the construction of safety apparatuses, or is it apparatuses or apparati? Apparatuses. Apparatuses. Uh, in the districts of the state of Indiana, that needs to be encouraged, and I'm encouraged by the, the exodus from apathy that American parents, that Hoosier parents have found since COVID and that they are starting to address these issues. I am cautiously optimistic. That's the beauty of our confederalist system is the ability to tailor legislation to the communities and why over-reliance on federal solutions is deleterious to liberty at the local level because it takes away the responsiveness from your government that is right at your doorstep. Which this is, is why state government. and federal standardization has been a negative impact on the American American citizens in their communities for such a long time. You as a citizen should not be sitting things out. The apathy of the American voter is one of the biggest detriments to American society today. You have a responsibility to be informed and to be involved. And federal and statewide standardization allows individuals to say, oh, it's someone else's problem. I can pass the buck right up the line. Yeah, or worse yet, when they dele uh, delegate authority to the faceless bureaucracy to solve the problems that like legislators don't want to. Like the Indiana Department of Education, to. like the Federal Department oh of goodness. Education, in which, by the way, Betsy DeVos was incredibly correct in saying the Federal Department of Education should be abolished. Yeah, but I, I agree with Rob on this. She was in charge of the department. Why wasn't she singing let's get rid of it when she was in charge when she could do something about it? They always squawk about that after they've left. Oh, now we're going to dismantle the system. What? Why weren't you doing that when you were in charge? Well, That's what we need. First of all, because the communiques in her department at the time do show that she was in fact calling for the department of education to be abolished also there's something to be said that she did deregulate a lot of standardization of american curriculum during her time in office and yet we see the rise of uh, social emotional learning and critical uh, uh, critical race theory implemented in the curriculum all the more especially since 2016 so i'm not sure that's directly connected but something to note Oh, a lot of state departments do indeed bring that stuff forward. I mean, it certainly was in the state of Indiana. The Department of Education in the state of Indiana has been incredibly nonsensical in its implementation of all of these things. And school boards have voted it in en masse because it was considered the right thing to do. And kids have paid the price. You're listening to 93 WIBC. We got a little bit sidetracked, but I felt like this was a worthwhile conversation. I wanted to circle back, though, to a song that's been released by country music star John Rich. He's proclaimed it as an anti-woke anthem. I'm not sure it lives up to the description. We'll see if you agree. I, I, here's my problem, Tony. I don't like when my reality veers too close to parody and satire, and I feel like maybe this crosses the line. We'll, we'll see if you share my opinion coming up next stay tuned we're going to break early on tony cats today so that way we have plenty of time in the next segment on 93 wibc good afternoon and welcome back to tony cats today i'm your host today tony kennett along with ethan hatcher we're covering all kinds of stuff because it was a very 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 busy weekend and last week ethan have you seen uh, the country star John Rich's anti-woke anthem? 
Uh, apparently, it's it's hit number one on iTunes. It's called Progress. I have seen it. I heard it, as a matter of fact. Listen to the whole thing. And it is interesting. I've played... Look... It, Fundamentally, I agree with the sentiments, and I've uh, played other artists uh, with similar messages. I don't know if you've heard of the rapper, Canadian rapper, uh, Tom McDonald. Uh, oh, he, yeah. Yeah, he produces a lot of uh, rap songs that deal with these cultural issues. I feel like perhaps in a more artful way, this song was announced on Truth Social, Donald Trump's social media network, and la you know labeled an anti-woke album, uh, ironically titled Progress. It tipped off a few alarm bells for me, and we'll invite producer Ryan into the discussion as well, because it reminded me of satire from all the way back in 2013. But before we get to that, let's play the song so that way you get a, a sense of the flavor for yourself. There's a hole in this country where it's hard used to be And no glory is divided on fire in the street They say building back better make America great If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say Stick your progress where the sun don't shine Keep your big mess for me and mine If you leave us alone Well, we'd all be just fine Stick your progress Where the sun don't shine And it continues on much the same way for about another two minutes. That's all well and good, and your mileage may vary on artistic expression. It's all, you know, kind of dependent on individual taste by and large. But, 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 guys, it really reminded me of this satire from 2013's Grand Theft Auto V. Are either of you guys gamers, Producer Ryan? Yeah, Tony? everyone likes a good game. Grand Theft Auto V. Okay. You remember this fr it. from Blaine County Radio, uh, the oh, no. satirical Samantha Muldoon? Artistic works is a satire, though. The oh, other one man. was meant in sincerity, and that's why I was like, I, I don't, Tony, I don't like it when my reality veers too close to a joke. I don't like it. No, I, I, goodness gracious, I, I can't believe that you played that because yeah, I do remember, <laughs> I do remember hearing that, and 
uh, musically, it, it's fine. I mean, it's like country sure. music. It, it's it's good. I I enjoy I'm not good country songs. No, yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like the, you know, <laughs> I don't. I just it, it's Pro so. Producer Ryan, let's bring uh, you on in the discussion. I mean, do do you see the comparison here? I mean, did you play Grand Theft Auto Five? I played it a little bit. I mean, I hear the comparison between the two songs. There we go. And, it's amazing to think that one's satire and one's not. <laughs> right. One preceded it by nine years. Called it. Called it. Called it. Called it. <laughs> I don't know. When it comes to like actually writing songs that have a political message to it, I think that it's often more effective to write something that you're building towards, sure. something that you love, that you cherish, that you respect, that you want to foster. But just saying things that you're against, keep that away from yours and mine and all that. And I'm well, like, ah. Progress, I'm not sure, is the enemy, guys. Wokeness, sure. Progress, eh. And to say that the two are synonymous, ooh, that's dangerous. Because well, I think wokeness is regressive in many respects, well, yeah, not exactly. progressive. That's the joke, that progressivism is actually regressivism. And, you know, Dave Rubin and a lot of his have, have made that, you know, have made that discussion clear quite a few times. I just think that the way that it's done, I'm I'm just unimpressed. The word that sure. comes to my mind is just meh. Mm. Like really, I and unfortunately, it's going to get a lot of attention and excitement because he's standing up, and it's like, look, if you're going to do something great, then actually, I, I need a little more joie de vivre. I guess. Yes, 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 yes. I do not like shallow performative political art when the left does it and ruins some of the greatest science yeah, fiction. Yeah, like when SNL gets on and they do this like really lame political sketch and everyone boring. like, yeah, it's boring. And this kind of comes across as the same thing. There are some yes, really yes, great yes. political sketches and commentary and comedy. I like Ali Beth Stuckey's interviews where she like mocks interviewing with AOC. That to me is humorous, but something like this just comes across as a bit stale. And I, I don't like me. leaning into the divide, leaning into the us versus them mentality when you know there are differences and i think that rational oh, no minds can, Twitter. can bridge <laughs> can bridge those and have a dialogue like we have on this show yeah it's it's so weird to disagree with someone on a few bits of uh well a little more than minutia and not have you know epithets screamed in my face that i'm some kind of rabid you know frothing at the mouth christo fascist thank you for that you're listening to 93 at WIBC conversations between Ethan Hatcher and Tony Kennett on Tony Katz today. Of course, we have a whole other hour of the program to come. If you missed my show, I have a show, by the way. It's an award winning program on Saturday mm, night. So true. Seven to nine, a Saturday night on the circle. It's like an aged Chardonnay wine. It's perfection. Stay tuned for that and catch the podcast at Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm. Tony, what you got? Uh, you can hit us up over at chalkboardreview.com for all things education. We do not censor things politically because we believe everyone from parents to teachers to college professors should have an unblemished, untarnished view into education. You can find us over at chalkboardreview.com. Especially as a man of faith, I wanted to get your input on this ridiculous situation from a church in Brooklyn when Bishop Lamar Miller Whitehead was leading a service and in the middle of his stream on a Sunday, masked hoodlums entered into uh, the, the vestibule there and, and robbed the pastor of his jewelry, him and his wife, more than a million bucks and got away. I mean, that's... <laughs> I, What's a, what is a pastor doing with a million bucks worth of jewelry? 
I, I, I mean, just, I guess you I, can. I mean, no, I mean, I'm just speechless at the, the, the situation. There's a lot to unpack there. So, I mean, you know, should a pastor have millions of dollars in jewelry? I, I would question that one personally. Uh, my pastor God doesn't is, say that you're not allowed, but no. he does say it's going to be difficult like a camel through the eye of a needle. Uh, yeah. If, if Look, if, if like, let's say there's some rich member of the church and he gave the pastor that jewelry, that's one thing. I mean, if the pastor's just, you know, got a lot of income, I mean, hey, if the congregation wants to pay their pastor that, okay, I guess. <laughs> I think that could be used other ways, personally. Sure. But I mean, then there's like the the going in and robbing a church in the middle of this in the middle of the sermon. Like yeah, while he's up the there sermon, preaching while it was live. <laughs> Goodness, you know this. Could, what also struck my alarm bells. This could be an inside job, kind of like the six hundred thousand in uh, Joel Osteen's <laughs> walls. Like, what if he had it planned to rob this during the service to give himself uh, an alibi? Because you're never going to suspect the guy if he's doing you know, doing the service live. I mean, this I, also is a string of robberies that's happened in Brooklyn. Another bizarre one I reported on my show was a uh, tabernacle worth more. This is for its artistic value. It was donated to uh, the Notre Dame of Brooklyn in the 1890s. Right. More than two million dollars worth of jewel encrusted goods. This thing is like more than six feet tall, and it was stolen sometime in between a three-day period. Still haven't caught up with it. I'd say track down uh, the pastor's jewelry, probably in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you guys back soon here at Tony Cats today. You're listening to WIBC 93.1.